Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Welcome on in to the Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield. Happy to be in the big chair for today, Wednesday, August 25th, 2021. Summer drawn to a close. Have a couple of thoughts on that in a few moments. Big show today. We're obviously going to spend a lot of time on Cam and Mac. We're going to talk about sort of expectations and what to be watching and looking for in the final preseason game this weekend against the New York Giants. Like I said, I'm going to talk briefly about what I did last week. But we do have to start with some news. Before we get to that, though, your usual cavalcade of reminders. Please do follow along with the hijinks on the Stakem app at Mark Schofield. Check out the work. USA Today's Touchdown Wire. Bleeding Green Nation, where I co-host... The QB Factory Reboot with Rachel Prevet, who is awesome, who is incredible. Follow her on Twitter, at Rachel Monique. We got a new episode dropping today where we talk a little bit about Cam and Mac. We talk a lot about Joe Flacco. We talk a little bit about Zach Wilson. We covered a ton of ground on that show, so that's a ton of fun. Also over at SB Nation at Big Blue View. And in a little bit of news, soon to be over at Blogging the Boys. I am slowly going to expand my coverage of the NFC East. I'm going to be doing some stuff on Dak Prescott each week, so look for that started in the next couple of weeks. Also, as I mentioned last week, a little vacation, a little R&R. I know know it's been a, a weird summer for me in terms of time spent with you on the microphone, but took the family out to Ocean City for the week. It was nice to get rested, recovered, recharged, all of that stuff for everybody. Before school starts, we had first baseball practice on Tuesday night for Owen and the team. I know those of you that listen to the show um, know about the little run that that team had last year in the playoffs. Um, Hoping to do it again, but now they're bumping up to the 12U division, so it's going to be a young team, uh, mostly 10- and 11-year-olds playing against some 12-year-olds, so it's going to be fun to do that. But it was fun to get back with the kids, fun to get back with the coaches, get starting to teach kids like leads and, and box and drop third strikes. And so, and so that's fun, but we do start with Patriots news. What woke me up, what maybe woke a lot of you up was a notification from Adam Schefter that the new England Patriots are trading running back Sony Michelle 
to the Los Angeles Rams in exchange for two draft picks described by Schefter as late-round conditional draft picks. And this was a move that many people thought was possible, especially when Cam Akers went down. Anytime a running back this sort of offseason either was questioned or dinged, people looked at the Patriots' group of running backs and thought, hey, you know, New England's got a lot of running backs. Maybe this team is going to make a move for one of them. What might have been sort of the final impetus for this move? Darrell Henderson, he gets the thumb sprain in recent days. He's expected to be back for week one. But now you've got Akers down, you've got Henderson dinged. If you're Les Snead, if you're the Los Angeles Rams, if you're Sean McVay, now you're thinking, look, we got to go get a guy. And it also makes you wonder sort of the usage of Sony Michelle this preseason. He caught a lot of throws in preseason games, was targeted a lot in preseason games. And one cannot help but wonder, was there a bit of showcasing going on with Sony Michelle? Look, years past, they used him as a running back. They used him as a first and second down guy. They didn't throw to him a ton. Obviously, when you have James White and you have Rex Burkhead and you have other options as a receiver out of the backfield, you use Sony Michelle for what he does. And you use James White and Rex Burkhead for what they do. This is quintessential New England Patriots stuff, right? But then suddenly Sony Michelle is getting targets in the pass game and he's showing what he can do as a receiver. He's showing that he can give you something out of the backfield. And anybody that has watched the Los Angeles Rams knows they like to get their running backs involved. They like to do things off of play action. They like to do things move concepts and, and boot concepts and things like that. Targeted running backs in the flat. Sometimes going empty. Targeted running backs in that situation. And so you can't help but wonder, look, were they showcasing Sony Michelle for a move like this? Now, I've also seen some discussion in the wake of this move that the Patriots are just moving on from another sort of horrific, poor, disastrous, whatever sort of phrase you want to use, first-round draft pick in Sonny Michel. Did Sonny Michel live up to his first-round billing? Probably not. And I think the return on this probably tells you, no, probably not. When you're moving a first-round player, you know, even a running back, for two late-round conditional picks, maybe it's not the return on investment that you would like, even for a running back. That being said... You look at that 2018 season, right? And, and what that Patriots offense came to become sort of down the stretch. And I bring this up often, right? Back at that time, I was hosting Locked On Patriots. And I remember saying, I don't think this team can throw the ball well enough to win a Super Bowl. Now, ultimately, I was wrong. But down that late season stretch, that Chargers game, certainly into the AFC Championship game against the Chiefs, they relied on the run game. They relied on 21 personnel and Sony Michelle behind James Devlin. And Michelle had some good games down the stretch. He scored the only touchdown in Super Bowl 53. 
Is that enough to justify a first-round pick? Maybe in some minds, maybe not in others. I think in my mind, it kind of justifies it. He helped deliver you a Super Bowl. You know, whether that's worthy of a first-round pick or not, I leave that up to you. In my mind, I think it still is. Did they get the return on investment? No, maybe not. But he helped you win a Super Bowl. And anytime you can draft a player in the first round, second round, that helps you win a Super Bowl, I think it makes it a pretty good pick. So seeing some of the discussion that, look, you know, maybe he wasn't the greatest first round selection of all time, I, I would push back on that a little bit. Now, of course, there are bits of context that might be needed to make the full evaluation on the Sony Michelle pick because they drafted Sony Michelle at 31 and the very next pick, Lamar Jackson at 32. And then at the top of the second round, you get Nick Chubb going to the Browns at 35, who a lot of people said was a better prospect than Sony Michelle. The brilliant Matt Waldman was banging the table, telling anybody that would listen, me, other people in the media, strangers on the street, Nick Chubb is going to be fantastic. That looked up, looks like Matt nailed it. Shocker, he often does. Darius Leonard comes off the board at 36. Cortland Sutton comes off the board at 40. Look, even Ronald Jones at 38. You know, DJ Chark at 61. If you want to get really nutty, Fred Warner at 70. Not too many people saw that at that time, but still. You know, you, you look at options and other players that were available to draft at that spot. And yeah, it's easy to look back and say, yeah, should have drafted Lamar Jackson. Should have drafted Nick Chubb. In that context, yeah, maybe it looks like a disastrous pick. But still, even with the meager return on investment, even with the options that were available, he helped deliver a Super Bowl, and I think that's worth something too. So there, instant reaction to the news. I'm next. We're going to talk some Cam and Mac stuff. We're going to talk briefly about the final preseason game. That is ahead on the SCO Show. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys! It's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hit Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Mark Schofield back with you here on The Sco Show. And in the brief moment of time that I hit the pause button for the first segment and the second segment, we got a bit more news on the Sony Michelle deal. Mike Reese has updated his story 
courtesy of Lindsay Thury, who covers the Rams for ESPN. These are conditional 2022 fifth and sixth round picks. That's how they're being described by ESPN. What's interesting about conditional late round picks, fifth and sixth, I will tell you this. Talking with some of the Draft Network people, they released their top 100. Kyle Hamilton, the Notre Dame safety, number one on their big board right now. They released their like top 100 right now. Talking with them about that in recent nights, you know, last night and the night before that after it came out. Talking to Kyle Krabs specifically, he was saying... It's thin at the top, right? You know, when you've got a safety as the top player in your big board going into a season, it, it seems a bit thin, but it's deep. You know, Kyle is extremely excited about the depth of this draft overall. And maybe that is an opinion that is shared by people in the league. And so getting fifth and sixth round picks might not seem like a lot, but if that opinion of this upcoming draft class, it's not good at the top, but it's very deep, is shared by teams, is shared by the league, is shared by the New England Patriots, then maybe that fifth and sixth is actually pretty good to have. And that's certainly a rose-colored glasses approach. It's certainly easy to say that sitting here Wednesday morning, August 25th, that, oh, this draft isn't top-heavy, but it's got great depth. There's a lot of football to be played to determine that. But I wanted to give that a little bit of context as well, as well as that sort of breaking news from Mike Reese and Lindy Thury. Let's talk Cam and Mac. Because as I was getting ready to come back and do this show and talk about the quarterback position, I was ready to sort of dive into deep breakdowns of both Cam and Mac from last Thursday night against the Eagles. You may have seen the YouTube breakdown I did of of Cam from week two. You may have seen the one I did of Mac from week one. I thought both looked really good. Both looked really good last Thursday against the Eagles. I know, again, context is important and is necessary. They were going against backups twos and threes and fours in some cases. But it doesn't matter. These are NFL players on the other side of the ball trying to get a job, trying to win a gig, trying to win a roster spot. They're out there competing. And so those guys are getting paid too. And I was already to come in here and say, look, you know, Cam has looked great. Last Thursday night against the Eagles was the most comfortable I have seen him. When Rachel and I on the next episode, the one that's dropping today of the QB Factory reboot, talked about Cam, she put it perfectly. He looked comfortable for the first time in a long time. He did. He looked comfortable and fluid in the pocket. He was working through reads with his eyes. He was working through reads with his feet. The eyes and the feet were tied together. It all looked great. And then Mac comes in and it's the same thing. And you see Mac climb in the pocket. You see him, you know, he had the throw here to climb the pocket and drill it in between two defenders. And he showed you a bit of velocity and you couldn't help but start to feel, okay, I'm excited about this quarterback position. And I have I have said, and again, this is stuff that was relayed to me, but every radio show I go on, every podcast I do, every 
you know, segment that I get to do whatever. You know, when people ask me about the Patriots, I relay this information. Everybody in and around that team tells you 21 and 22 positions we feel great about going into the year. That 22nd was QB. It was a question mark in many minds. Are we going to get a good cam? Is Mac going to be ready? Now they feel good about that position, or at least they kind of did over the weekend, right? You had two guys that were looking pretty good. Cam seemed comfortable, seemed ready to run this offense. Mac seemed well ahead of schedule. Like he was the guy that, look, he's a first-round quarterback for a reason. And yeah, he was QB5 and not everybody was sold on him, but he was still a very good quarterback prospect. And it's perhaps a reflection of the fact that these five first-round quarterbacks starting to look pretty good. I mean, to different degrees, Trevor Lawrence has had some struggles with that offensive system and that offensive line, although they weren't playing starters on Monday night against the Saints. Zach Wilson, after some ups and downs in practice, like we say, what? Preseason is about process, not results. You're starting to see good process leading to good results. He had two great outings, one against the Giants, one against the Packers. I've been impressed with him. Fields and Lance have been a ton of fun to watch. I did videos on both of those guys up on YouTube. Again, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't. But I, I mean, I know Matt Nagy has said Dalton's going week one. I know Kyle Shanahan's been a bit more evasive about who their week one starter is. I think both guys can start. I think both guys can start. I I, I think Lance is an there's an account NFL philosophy NFL philosophy. Um, on Twitter that made the case that Lance is well ahead of Fields. And I know there was some pushback on that on the timeline. I can kind of see it. And partly because I think Lance has a better understanding of protections right now than Fields. And of course, one play, the the shot where Fields got ear-holed from the right side has might sort of cloud that opinion. But I do think Lance is in a good position. I think both could start week one. And yes, there's a part of me that since I said, you know, this time last year that if he walked into the 49ers huddle, he would be the best quarterback on their roster. That person being Trey Lance. I'd like that to be right. We all like to get our W's. But I do think that Lance is ready. I do think that Fields is ready. And yeah, if they have to start Mac Jones week one, I'm of the mind that I think he could do it. And now that's more of a possibility than it was when we woke up Friday night because you have the Cam Newton situation now with COVID where he has to spend some days away from the team. And yes, that gets us to vaccine versus not vaccine, vaccinated status versus non-vaccinated status. You're seeing other teams, the Buffalo Bills dealing with it now with Cole Beasley, Bill Belichick was obviously asked about it. He said all these teams are dealing with it. Players that are not vaccinated versus players that are vaccinated and the different rules and regulations that the NFL and the NFLPA have put in place about that. And I'm not here to have that sort of discussion. That's a discussion for another place, another time, all that stuff. I'm just here to deal with the reality of it, which is this. That old saying in the NFL, the best ability is availability Cam's not available right now. Mac Jones is now your, for the next couple of days, starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. This is a big opportunity for him to sort of handle that responsibility 
and rise to the occasion. And, you know, reports from some of the joint practices with the Giants is he looked pretty good. I guess they haven't had joint practices yet. Um, but he's looked pretty good that first day of practice, Tuesday, as the sort of guy. And now we'll see going forward what he does with this opportunity. I thought Matt Chatham had a very smart way to look at it. You know, he was of the mind that Cam was going to be the guy and both guys were in a good position and, you know, maybe Mac was ahead of where he was expected to be, but Cam looked good too. And unless something wild and crazy and unordinary happened, it was going to be Cam. Well, that something wild, crazy, and unordinary did happen. And now Mac Jones has an opportunity do I want to say win the job? Maybe. Honestly, maybe. And it, it, the organization will have to decide, you know, how do we go forward with this? How do we go forward with this information? Do we, do we just give this job to Mac Jones because of the uncertainty about the future with, with Cam in this? I, I don't know. I still think you would make the decision based on who the better quarterback is right now that can give your team a chance to win. And I think both have looked good, but Mac Jones certainly has an opportunity. And that's a little segue into the final little discussion here. What do we want to see from the Patriots' final preseason game, right? You know, they close out the preseason Sunday against the Giants. Now, Cam should be cleared to come back. How much action does he get? Does Mac Jones now get the opportunity to actually like start this game? How do the Patriots handle this game? Right, it's the third preseason game, the last preseason game. Usually, this is the everybody shut down. You see the threes and the fours. Maybe they do something different. Giants, they haven't played Daniel Jones yet. How do they handle it? Obviously, the main thing you you don't want to see injuries. The two things I want to see now: one. What is the quarterback situation going to be? How is the quarterback position going to be handled with all of this? Two, the new running back room, right? No Sody Michelle, so how is that spread out? Are we going to see guys like J.J. Taylor now win a job as a result? Does Ramondre Stevenson, is he now RB2? Probably. Or maybe he's 2B and White's 2A. I might say Harris is 1A and White's 1B, but... How does the running back room, how do the carries and the opportunities and the snaps get spread out? Or does Belichick just say, look, it's the final preseason game. I've seen all I need to see. We're just playing Brian Hoyer and the backups and seeing who can win roster spots. Is that how they handle this game? Because what's interesting, you look around at other teams and how other teams are handling preseason games. A lot of teams, like the Giants, they haven't played a lot of starters. It's basically meant I haven't had to do much over at Big Blue View. They're using the joint practices as the evaluation period. There was that Elliott Shores Park tweet early in that preseason game last Thursday night, right? When he basically said, yeah, the Patriots look like a team that needed to win the game because the Eagles had won the week of practice. And obviously that got a bit of brushback on the timeline, but maybe there's something to that. Maybe coaches are looking at these joint practices as the actual evaluation periods to get work done with your starters and then you go into a, a less controlled environment of a preseason game 
then that's when you're running the threes and the fours out there. Maybe that's what we're going to see. In which case, if the Patriots share that philosophy in any way, shape, or form, I don't think they do because they've been really using these games. They're trying to get Mac reps and no huddle two-minute situations and things like that. But even if there's some of that at play, Mac's got an opportunity now because he's going to have a bulk of that work as the one with joint practices when they get underway with the Giants. And so fascinating stuff ahead. You know, and when this is all said and done, in a couple of weeks, we will be back to two shows a week, um, getting back up to speed. Batteries are pretty much recharged, although it's always a struggle. Um, but we forge on. And in that spirit, I hope you are forging on wherever you are. Thank you for listening. Um, I will be back next week uh, to recap this game, start thinking about the actual season and roster cuts and all that fun stuff. Until then, friends, stay safe. Check in on your loved ones. Wash your hands. And when you do, sit along. Bless those Patriots fans. Down in Buffalo.